Hey, my name is Matt Poole, and this is Unapologetically Catholic, the podcast where we dive into the different doctrines, dogmas, and beliefs of the Catholic faith to help explain why I personally am unapologetically Catholic and why I think that you should be too. In this week's episode, we are going to talk over authority. Um, so we as Catholics do not agree with uh, the Protestant view of Scripture alone, and we believe in Scripture, uh, tradition, and the magisterium. It's kind of like a three-legged stool, uh, and you need all three legs so that you can sit on the stool properly. Otherwise, your stool is going to fall and you're going to end up on the floor. Um, so that's what we're talking about this week. We'll dive into the catechism and the scripture as well uh, to kind of help explain why that's our authority and why that is the authority that Jesus gave to us here on the earth. Uh, so with that, let's get into it. So, like I said, this week is going to be on church authority. Um, so, this was one of the things that growing up, I mean, obviously, when I was a Protestant, I did fully believe in Scripture alone, that, like, the fullness of the Word of God or divine revelation was in the the Bible alone. There was nothing else we needed, um, but I do, so, well, I guess I kind of will explain the scripture alone thing a little bit. And I did this in the um, one of the earlier episodes, but I thought that this was a good topic to kind of go over in at least a little bit more detail and kind of dive into some of the paragraphs of the catechism it, as well to kind of explain a little bit more um, about church authority. But uh, <clears throat> just to start off, when I, and I think this is most Protestants' view on scripture alone, um, maybe even all, uh, but I don't know that for certain. But anyways, growing up, I was always told that, you know, we believe in scripture alone, but we don't believe in scripture that is alone. So we would say that, like, it's good to have the other things to kind of supplement scripture. Like, it, it was never a, um, I can sit down with my Bible, and that's it, and I can understand everything. Like, I was taught that we did need people who were like pastors and theologians and things like that. They would say that those people were called by God to help explain what was in the scripture, but there was nothing like it was scripture alone and everything that they would say, you would just compare it to scripture. And if it didn't contradict what they were saying, did not contradict scripture, then you, then they were fine to listen to. But you would never look at the things that they say on the same playing field as Scripture. It was kind of like, um, they could still be wrong. They may still be wrong. Uh, but m maybe you should listen to it and consider it, but it's nowhere near the authority of Scripture. Um, so that's what I was taught about Scripture alone as a Protestant. Uh, but I still don't think that works. And obviously that's why, that's why I'm a Catholic now. Uh, so we, in the Catholic church, like I said, in the intro, there's three parts, uh, to it. There's, there is sacred scripture and then there's tradition. And then there's the magisterium or the teaching office, uh, of the church. So that would be like 
the Pope and the bishops today. So uh, a lot of times growing up, I would be told things like Catholics believe that um, the Pope is always infallible. So every time he gets up and says anything on TV or he writes any kind of letter or he wakes up in the morning and brushes his teeth and says something after that, that Catholics believe that every last word he said was always infallible. Um, and that is not the case. <laughs> so, and, you know, just like we wouldn't look at Paul or Peter or anybody else, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, anybody else who wrote any of the four Gospels, we would not, well, any of the Bible, we would not look at anyone who wrote the Bible and say every last word that they ever said in their entire life was always perfect. There was zero error in what they said ever. But we would look at the Bible, and both Protestants and Catholics both would look at sacred scripture and say everything that they wrote in sacred scripture was absolutely the word of God. There is no error in what they have said, right? Um, so just like we can have faith that what the authors of scripture wrote was the word of God and it is not, it is without error, uh, we can have hope or we can have the same faith that like with the Pope, it's not that every last word he says is infallible or every last word he says is perfect. Uh, there's only a very specific time that the Pope speaks and he speaks without error. Uh, and it's when it's he speaks something ex cathedra or from the chair of Peter. Um, and it's when he's handing on some kind of instruction or, or word um, which does not, it doesn't happen nearly as often as some people think it does. <laughs> um, so th that is one thing I just kind of wanted to clarify just to get started. Um, and another thing is that we as Catholics, well, when I was a Protestant, I was kind of always told that like Catholics looked to tradition more than scripture. Like with Catholics, they have Bibles, but they're dusty, and they probably don't even know where they are, and they don't ever open them. Um, and that is not the case either. Like, we don't just look to the Pope, or even just look to our priest and go, you know, that that's it. That's all I need is just the, the things from today. I don't need the Bible. The Bible's an old, crusty book. But that is not the Catholic um, teaching, I guess, on Scripture. Uh, may, there may be some Catholic, you could probably even say there probably are some Catholics who do that, but just because there are some people who act that way in the Catholic faith does not mean that that is what we as Catholics hold to. Um, just like, I don't know, uh, growing up, I went to a Baptist church, but just because there was some people who would say, like, Oh, once saved, always saved means I just got a prayer prayer one time and then I can live my life the rest uh, the rest of my life. I can live it however I want. I can do the worst things terrible because I believe in once saved, always saved. There were people in the Baptist world who would say that, but that those people who did those things did not represent what a Baptist church stood for. So it's the same kind of concept when we're looking at Catholicism. There's a lot of things like that growing up that was like, 
I know this person, this person is a Catholic, they do this thing, therefore that's what Catholics believe. So we got to be careful not to do that with anyone, not just Catholics, but, you know, Protestants, Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, whoever you're, you know, whoever you're talking about or, or whoever you're examining, I guess you could say, whatever kind of religion you're examining, you don't want to look at what someone does and goes and go, ah, because they did X, Y, or Z, their whole religion is everything that they do. Um, cause they can be mistaken and I can be mistaken. So, you know, that's why I'm very um, adamant about, you know, I'll give examples from the catechism, I give examples from scripture, but I kind of hope that maybe if you're someone who's looking at Catholicism and you're listening to this podcast, that maybe you kind of use this as like a launching board, or maybe it kind of just brings down some super major, major red flags. That way you can go, oh, okay, this this thing that would be super seriously wrong that I was told uh, is not accurate. And then you can kind of go from there. Don't, but yes. So get you a catechism. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible and read them both. Um, so anyways, church tradition. Uh, also, we, so we don't, in, in the in the Catholic church with tradition, we do not hold scripture above tradition and we don't hold tradition above scripture so there's a let's see there's a quote from the catechism here that i want to read Uh, actually there's two um so paragraph number 85 in the catechism says this the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the word of god whether it is written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And then paragraph number 86 here, it says... Yet this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but is its servant. It teaches only what it only what has been handed on to it at the divine command and with the help of the Holy Spirit. It listens to the devoutly devotedly guards oh, sorry, hold on. It listens to this devotedly, guards it with dedication, and expounds it faithfully. All that it sorry, all that it proposes for belief and being divinely revealed is drawn from the single deposit of faith. Um, so this, that, that is talking about the magisterium. So like I said, we, it's a kind of think of the analogy of a a three legged stool. Um, the magisterium is, is another one of those legs of this, the stool of the authority. Uh, so what what the Pope says, what the bishops say, is not above Scripture. Um, so the Pope can never contradict Scripture. Uh, there is nothing that a Pope or a bishop or anyone can say that is binding for all the faithful or speaking from the chair of Peter um, that will ever contradict Scripture. So like, uh, I don't know, a good example is well, especially today, like in our time today, is with uh, homosexuality, the Pope, Pope Francis, has been pretty clear that he cannot come out and 
honor um, and, and recognize gay marriage as legitimate and good marriage because it would go against scripture. And as the Pope, they cannot do that. Um, so I maybe that kind of explains a little bit of it in the beginning. So part of the reason why or part of the reason that started part of one of the things that really started me to kind of go down this path of maybe it's not scripture alone is um, I had been studying Catholicism for years. I don't know. I was maybe five or six years in at this point, something like that. And I was really wrestling between, it was at the point where I was really kind of caught between Protestantism and Catholicism. And I was really starting to go, I don't know, maybe I need to become a Catholic. Um, And there were things that I was like, well, I really agree with this thing, but I don't really agree with this thing. But the Catholic Church says this, and I really think they've got that right. But then they say this, and I don't think they've got that right. And so I had a friend who was actually, and is a Protestant, who said, okay, you, you keep looking at all these, like, things that are more or less, like, seemingly side issues. And he was like, there's one, like, there's a major difference between Protestants and Catholics. Um, what, where does your, where does the authority lie? Is it with scripture alone? Or is it with scripture, tradition, and the magisterium? Because some of the things, like some of the Mariology dogmas, um, if the authority is scripture alone, then some of those things you don't, you can't find explicitly in scripture. So then you can't make an argument for some of these Marian dogmas off of scripture alone. But if Jesus gave the authority to the church as well as gave authority through scripture, then when the church speaks dogmatically on something like Mariology, then we would say, well, then it logically follows that, that, you know, you should submit to that if that is the true authority. So when, you know, he said that to me, I was like, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I really need to figure this out. So I started studying and I started kind of looking into it and I, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I just started thinking and I was like, okay, who, like, how did we get our Bible? And so I kind of started digging into things and looking at history. And I don't, I don't know why I thought of it this way, but I kind of always just like knew that we had the scripture. Like I had never considered how we got the Bible as we know it today. Right. So I kind of, I guess in my mind, I almost thought just like God gave the 10 commandments to uh, Moses, um, I kind of assumed that like it was the same thing with the Bible. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. And maybe it was just in the back of my mind that we were just given the Bible. Like we just have it. It's the word of God. He just gave us the word of God. And then I started thinking, okay, but like, Acts is a specific letter written from a certain person to a certain people. How did Acts get included with First Peter? And how did that get included with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And how did that get included with First and Second Thessalonians? Like, how did all these individual letters get compiled into one book with the, with the Old Testament 
to make what we know as the scripture today. Um, and then I started looking into it and I was like, wow, there was a church council that was, a, that had a Pope and had bishops that met and they defined here is, here is the, the books of the Bible. Um, and that, that was the books of the, all the books of the Bible until 1517 when Martin Luther, um, took out some of the books of the Bible. So, uh, and I know there's a lot of people, some people may be screaming at the, whatever you're listening to, the car, your headphones, whatever you may be listening to going, the Catholic church added those extra books in the council of Trent. Well, no, there's we didn't the catholic church did not add the what would be called the extra books of the bible in the council of trent because martin luther took books of the bible out the council of trent reiterated what the books of the bible were um so the canon of scripture was was compiled at the council of rome uh and that happened in the uh let's see, the year 382. Um, and so the biblical canon was reaffirmed in the year 393 and 397. That was at the councils of Hippo and then Carthage. Uh, and then again at the Council of Florence in 1442. Um, so it it's not that, you know, there was the canon of scripture and then the Catholics added seven more books at the Council of Trent in relation or in retaliation, I guess, to Martin Luther. But it was that that the canon of scripture was established in the Council of Rome in the late 300s. And there was not a problem with anyone trying to take books of the Bible out until Martin Luther came along. So the reason why the Council of Trent came and said, these are the books of the Bible was because someone left the church, was taking books out of the Bible, and the Council of Trent said, okay, we need to reiterate here that these are the books of the Bible. This is the list. Um, So the church had authority to compile that list of books. Um, There was no... You know, there is not like some kind of universal agreement on these are the books of the Bible. It was not that the Holy Spirit just guided each and every Christian to to know what was Scripture and what was not. Um, there were some there were some people who said, "I think this clearly, you know, clearly matches up with this, and it should be Scripture." And other people were saying, "No, it shouldn't." And that's why there was a council needed in the Council of Rome in 382. Um, because they needed to say, okay, look, here is, this is the list of the books which are scripture. Um, anything outside of this, anything extra than this, this is not sacred scripture. But these 73 books are sacred scripture. Um, so some people will say, well, yeah, but here's the rubric. So it had to meet this requirement and this requirement and this requirement. And if it meets all these requirements, then we can recognize it as scripture. And I would say, okay, that's fine. Where are you getting that from? Because you're not getting those rubrics from scripture. You're getting those rubrics from something other than scripture. 
And me personally, I wasn't okay with going, yeah, each individual Protestant, like, like I was always taught growing up, that's why Martin Luther took books out of the Bible, because it didn't meet the rubrics that, I, I don't even really know where that list of like marks that it had to hit was, um, but it didn't come from scripture, it came from man, right? So if if at some point I'm going to have to rely on men for something, I would much rather look at the church that Jesus established when he gave his authority to Peter and the rest of the 12 disciples and said, you know, this is you, Peter, you're the rock I'm building my church on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was much more willing to look to the authority of the Catholic church because I could see the line from the Pope today all the way back to Peter versus looking at my pastor here in the here in Georgia in the year 2000, I don't know, 2018 or 2019, whatever it was at the time. Um, maybe a little bit before that. I have my years wrong. But anyways, in the late 2000s saying, ah, yes, I'm going to look at his authority or even going well, yes, I'm going to look at Luther's authority because at some point you have to look at some other authority than scripture because if the scripture was not given to us directly from God, like God directly gave Moses the Ten Commandments, then there's some other authority that gave us the scripture. Now, why am I okay with looking at the Catholic Church for the authority? Well, because I believe that they are not they did not get that authority in and of themselves. Like the Catholic Church is not just kind of going, yeah, this sounds good. Uh, that sounds fine. No, I don't think I like that. I'll change this up because of what I do or don't like. Um, it it came from, the, their authority comes from God being guided by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus passed on his authority to the apostles. And the apostles, or the 12 disciples, passed on their authority to the next people. So like we see um, uh, Judas, when he betrays Jesus, they replace him with Matthias, right? So if it was important to replace Judas, um, then it would be important to replace all the others, right? You you would think that there would be a, a line that would continue. Uh, Sorry, I think, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a little scatterbrained and I'm going down another rabbit hole, And but I apologize. I think it's important to kind of chase all these ideas down. So Jesus gave his authority to Peter, um, and then he gave his authority to the rest of the 12, right? So Judas left, or Judas, Judas betrays Jesus, and then Judas is replaced. So now we have a full 12 again, right? So... If we can see that Jesus passed his authority on to people, and then when one of those people left, they were replaced, then we do see in Scripture apostolic authority. And we see that apostolic authority being passed down, even beyond the generation that Jesus initially established. So if it was started, and we can see in Scripture where we have that authority being passed down to, we'll call it like a second generation, then where did that stop? And why did that stop? 
And if scripture is our only authority, then where do we see in scripture that that was supposed to stop? I would argue that we can see that it was not supposed to stop and that it was supposed to continue. Um, and then there's uh, the like the Council of Jerusalem in, I believe it's, I know it's in Acts. I think it's in Acts 6 um, where there were, there was some, debate going back and forth about, okay, these, these people who are Gentiles, who are not Jewish, do they need to become Jewish first by being circumcised? Like, do they need to enter into the old covenant before entering into the new covenant, or can they go directly into the new covenant? And there was some who were saying, no, they need to go through the old covenant and then come to the new covenant. So some were saying, I need to be, or some were saying, these Gentiles need to be circumcised and then they can be brought into the new covenant, new covenant. Um, and then there was others who were saying, no, they can just come directly into the new covenant. So what did they do? Uh, they went to a council and it was the council of Jerusalem. And then with Peter as the head of that council, they determined a thing that was binding for them and all of the faithful. Um, you do not have to enter into the old covenant before you enter into the new. And where did that come from? Well, it came from a council. It came from a group of men that have been given authority, and they were able to exercise that authority to define something that was a pertinent issue at that time, right? Um, it that like I guess what I mean by that is there was a debate between people on what should be true for all of Christians. So where did they go? They didn't argue back and forth over like scripture. They didn't have a completed New Testament then. So they couldn't go, let's look to the scriptures alone. So what did they do? They went to a council. And if there was a council in the scripture that was established, that was authoritative, that we can see defining things that's binding for all Christians, why would we say that yeah, we can see it in the Bible, but now it's stopped. There's nowhere in Scripture that leads you to believe that that should have stopped or that that did stop anywhere. Um, and kind of the more I've thought about it, and I've actually talked with this about, talked, let's see, <laughs> talked about this with Angel, uh, my wife, and said, you know, the more I think about it, I like growing up in the Protestant church, I was told a lot like, well, Catholics are very pharisaical. They're all like works-based and they look at my trinkets and look at my things and look, they cover around, they carry around their rosaries and they're very just like, they're whitewashed tombs, just like the Pharisees. But I, the more I thought about it, I was told Angel, I said, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I get like, I get what Protestants are saying, or I get what, like the church that I grew up in, I maybe... I can see why they're making that argument. But I would say, well, no, what what were the Pharisees doing? They were always arguing with Jesus, and what was it that they were arguing? Like what like what were they looking back to to argue against Jesus? Well, they were looking back to the Old Testament, and they would say, well, the Old Testament says this or like the the law and the prophets say this, right? They would say well, the law says this, and the law says that, and you're coming and you're opposing the law? Who are you to oppose the law? 
the written down, what we already have, what we know. This was given to us by God through the prophets, written out for everyone to see. And who are you to contradict this? And it sounds a lot like sola scriptura Protestantism today, like looking at Catholics and popes and bishops and saying, who are you to tell me, you know, I I have my written full ish, 66 books of my Protestant Bible. Who are you to come along and tell me something different? You you know, like, it seems like it sounds familiar, I guess is what I'm saying. And I don't mean to say that Protestants are Pharisees. I don't believe that. But I think the, like, idea of the argument of, like, the Pharisees would look back to the law and to the prophets and the things that they already had written in the old covenant, and Jesus was saying, no, I'm bringing forth the new covenant. Um, and they said, no, because that's not what's written. It's the same kind of argument today, where, but except for it's different, because the popes and the bishops are not, like, coming up with new things. Um, they're not, the, the magisterium is is a teaching office, and like I read in the catechism, it is to serve scripture. It's not to, like, make up new scripture. Um, so yeah, it's, that's been something that's kind of interesting. I've been thinking through lately and has been kind of interesting that I guess I thought I would share for some reason. So, um, and another thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, a lot of times as when I was a Protestant, it would be, we would look at like the Pope, the bishops, tradition, things like that is like, oh, these are man-made things. And, you know, a, a pope is can be sinful, and a pope can be fallen, uh, and they can make mistakes, right? They can they can do things that are wrong. They can say things that are wrong. So how are we supposed to look at them and trust them? Like, you know, who are they to define things for for us? And I, you know, well, like I said earlier, we I know who on by whose authority they are speaking (laughs) sorry finally got it out there Uh, i know by by whose authority they're speaking and it's not their own um so another quote from the catechism here it's paragraph number 80 it says sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with the other for both of them flowing out from the same divine wellspring come together in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal each of them makes present and fruitful in the church the mystery of Christ, who promised to remain with his own always to the close of the age. So when the church speaks dogmatically on something, or when a pope says uh, something, well, yeah, when they define something dogmatically, it's not coming from their own authority. So it's not a pope, like, saying something for political gain or defining something just so he could get some kind of political betterment or he could get some kind of I don't know he does he he will not have ulterior ulterior motives because just like no one would ever say that about the scripture like Paul is writing the things that he's writing so that he could get in better with the Romans or whatever the case may be. No one would say that because we trust that God spoke through Paul or God spoke through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or whoever, whatever other author in the scripture that you want to name. 
we would say, no, those men were guided by the Holy Spirit. And because they were guided by the Holy Spirit, they were able to write perfect error-free words, right? So same thing with the authority of the church today. We can look at the things they say and say, because that the source, the same source that the authors of sacred scripture were writing sacred scripture from is the same authority that the popes and the bishops, when they speak dogmatically or they define things dogmatically, that's where their authority is coming from. Um, So it's not that I have my faith in popes or that I have my faith in traditions or that I have my faith in um, bishops, but I have my faith in the words that Jesus said that he established a church and that he will be with his church always to the close of the age. So I believe I, I believe Jesus when he says that he, he will be with his church. Um, so it doesn't bother me that, you know, some people will say, oh, well, did you see what Pope Francis said about X, Y, or Z? Can you believe that? I, okay, that's fine. He can He can say the things he wants to say. He can say things that seem scary. There's also a lot of times that, like, the Pope will say things that a news outlet will get a hold of and change just a little bit, or they'll say just a part of what he said because they want it to make, they want it to fit their agenda. Um, but that's okay. I, you know, there's things that maybe a Pope could say that would sound scary, but I don't, I'm not looking to the Pope as, as my hope. I, I know the authority that the Pope is speaking from, and it's Jesus. It's God made man himself who promised to be with his church until the close of the age. Um, so I have no problem, you know, whenever the Pope says, maybe there's, and there's been things that he says that I don't really agree with. And, you know, maybe there's some people who think, oh, he's not, he's not a great Pope or whatever the case may be. That's fine. That's okay with me. He is still the Pope and he still is the physical head of the church. He is the earthly head of the church, but I know that Jesus is the, is the head, true head of the church. Um, and that all authority comes from him. So I don't, I, I can rest easy that nothing will ever come up in the Catholic Church that will contradict scripture or contradict tradition from the past because I know that Jesus will not contradict himself. And I believe that Jesus established the Catholic Church and gave the church his authority through sacred scripture and through tradition in the magisterium. And so as a Catholic, we can be, if you're a Catholic, you can be extremely confident like I am that even when it seems really bleak and even if it seems really bad and even if it seems really not good, we know who's in control. Jesus is in control of his church. He has his church. He promised that he would not leave. And do you believe that Jesus is faithful to his promises or do you not? And I believe that he is and will always be faithful to his promise. Um, so, and if you're not a Catholic, maybe that kind of helps explain a little bit why I have such confidence in the Catholic Church and why I am totally fine with the authority of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the church that gave us the scripture as we know it today. If you're a Protestant and you have less books in your Bible, you only have 66 books then you're looking to the authority of Luther and saying that Luther's, I mean, you you would have to look to the authority of Luther and say, 
Luther got it right. Luther is the one who correctly, even if he came up with, you know, here's the list of requirements. Here's the list of like, it has to hit these check marks to be considered scripture. He did not get that list of check marks out of the Bible. Um, the reasons that he took the other seven books out of the Bible, I, I don't know. There's, I've heard people say all kinds of different things as to why he took the books out of the Bible that he did. But, it, it, you know, even if you believe they were all good and very valid reasons that there were books taken out of this, the Bible, um, you would be looking to Luther's authority and saying, yes, he's... He got the reasons we should include scripture in the list of scripture. Uh, he got the reasons right, where I would be much more confident to look at the church that Jesus established and say, no, they got it right. Uh, all the way back in the year 382, they got it right the first time around. Um, so that I guess I hope that kind of helps explain it a little bit. Um, I know that I feel like maybe I was running on a bunch of rabbit trails, so I apologize for that, but I, maybe that helps explain it a little bit. Anyways, thanks for tuning in this week. All right. Well, thank you uh, for listening to this week's episode, and I hope that it was helpful for you. I hope maybe it cleared up a little bit of misunderstanding about what the Catholic teaching is on tradition and scripture and how we view scripture versus tradition and the magisterium and all that. Um, but yeah, uh, if you, if you don't mind, it would be great if you could rate the podcast, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Google, whatever it may be, um, rate, rate it. And then if you could leave a little review too, even if you want to just say, this is great, or this is interesting, or I hate it, <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever you choose to say, uh, if you could write a review, that would be awesome. And then share it with some friends. If there's people that you think this would be helpful for, then send this episode to them. And um, if you have any further questions or arguments, or you want to talk about it one-on-one -on -one with me, uh, I'd love to do that. So just either send me an email to unapologeticallycatholicpod at gmail.com or you can send me a message on Instagram, uh, or you could just follow us there if you just want to keep up with what's going on um, at Unapologetically Catholic Pod on Instagram. Uh, but anyways, I hope that was helpful for you. I enjoy doing this, and it's always helpful for me because it makes me study even more, and I always feel like I find a few more things when I'm studying for a new episode. So, um, like I said in the episode, get a catechism, get a Bible, read these things on your own, study these things on your own. Don't take what I'm saying as like 100% gospel, because maybe I'm wrong. And the only way you're going to know is if you know the catechism and if you know the Bible. So uh, yeah, anyways, have a great week. And as always, may God bless you. And I'm, I will continue to pray for you.